0: Welcome to Is It Worth It, the self-worth podcast where we explore how different areas of our life affect our self-worth and how to build and maintain our sense of self-worth my name is roshni and i am a self-worth life coach i help my clients discover their worth so they can stop holding back and start taking control of their lives full force you can find my other free content under the name Betty grew up that's b-e-t-i grew up on instagram and youtube and you can sign up for my free newsletter at betigrewup.com hope you enjoyed the episode hey guys and welcome back to another episode i'm so glad to have you here and Today we are talking about self-worth and internalized racism. So this is definitely a heavy topic, but as I've been exploring the intersections of race and sexuality and feminism and all of these things in conjunction with the world of spirituality and self-help, I have really been kind of digging into my own Understanding of what my race means and what my gender means, and what all these other things that society have kind of boxed me into like, what that all really means about who I am as a person, and what that means on my journey of learning things and unlearning things. So, I wanted to do kind of a deep dive into this topic. So I wanted to share the definition of internalized racism. So It was actually a woman named Karen D. Pike who originally came up with this definition and she says that internalized racism is, quote, the internalization of a racial oppression by the racially subordinated. So this encompasses but isn't limited to behaviors and thoughts such as adapting to white cultural standards, believing negative racial stereotypes, thinking that supports the status quo, such as racism doesn't exist, etc. And this can manifest in you know situations like colorism, heteronormativity, um, denying someone's language, or suppressing their cultural customs. And so I really thought that this entire concept is so interesting, and it really ties in with what I was recently talking on my YouTube channel about regarding the model minority myth. So with the model minority myth or and with kind of that idea of group tensions, it's essentially a hierarchy created that's based on closeness to white norms. So however close you are in, to whiteness in terms of your cultural norms, in terms of your ethnicity, in terms of your socioeconomic class, all of that creates kind of a battle among the oppressed for scarce resources that are left over by whiteness. So a good example that I can use this in is in the context of like interviewing for a job, right? So if you know that everyone that works at this particular company is white and you aren't white and you kind of fall outside of those lines of like what's quote-unquote socially acceptable, then You might think going into the interview or you might just say outright that whoever is going to be the closest to whiteness out of the line of candidates will be the one that's chosen. So whether it is an actual white person, whether it's between, you know, a number of people that aren't white, then whoever can kind of feel like less of a threat to white society, that's what's going to be easier to be closest to for white society, if that makes sense. And so um, when we think about scarce resources that are left over by whiteness, you know, that could be housing, that could be um, a job, that could be so many different things that BIPOC or that, you know, queer people have struggles finding the resources that white people have right? these things are so much more accessible um, but when you're outside of that direct zone you feel like you have to battle other people so instead of all of us who may feel oppressed instead of us coming together and saying you know what can we do to overturn this or overthrow this how is the power within us as just kind of the sheer majority you know in some cases what can we do instead of kind of looking past those differences we often are kind of Changing ourselves to compete for these scarce resources left over by whiteness, and thus, in that process of competition, are assimilating ourselves closer to that white cultural standard of what it means to be a good person or a socially accepted person. So, there's this process of dividing and conquering that's happened, there's this process of changing yourself that's happening, and there's this kind of outright competition that rewards any. BIPOC that are able to change themselves because that reward is then being closer to whiteness and then having a piece of those scarce resources that are left over. I did want to take a quick second to kind of talk about the difference between what it means to just be around systematic impression and what it really means to internalize it because I know talking about like internalizing a feeling is sometimes confusing for people when you internalize something, it's almost like we're growing up in society, right? And we see all these things around us that may not make sense. And I don't know if you remember this, but I remember as a kid, you know, wondering, like, why are there homeless people? Why are there people that, you know, other people don't help? Or why do we just walk by people that don't have something to eat and just act like it's normal? And, you know, just like all these different things, I would constantly wonder as a child. And, It's kind of like this internal process of saying what's happening around me doesn't make sense, but they should be right. So you almost believe the lie in order for it to make sense. So in terms of just thinking about it from like a point of view of racism, if you are you know, so f- for me, being Indian, if I grew up feeling like being Indian was wrong, or that brown skin was wrong, or that you don't get rewarded for brown skin, or the, you, that you get treated differently for having brown skin, then it over time it gets exhausting to constantly be like, why, why, why is it not the same? Why am I so different? And it hurts, right? It really hurts on a core level to feel like you are unloved and unappreciated and that you shouldn't be here and that this world isn't for you but you're here you know it's kind of like it leaves you feeling hurt and helpless and just not sure what to do at all so instead of constantly allowing yourself to be hurt or to be affected by that over and over again every time that it happens it's almost like we build this kind of shell for ourselves that says okay they're not lying to me I am just in like inferior, I am inherently worse, and it becomes almost easier to believe that lie because at least everyone isn't out to attack you. It's almost like you believe it too, so it becomes slightly less painful, even though obviously, like, this is the greatest pain, and there is so much to unpack here, and that's not a good way of going through your life. But that process of internalization, when you think about it that way, it almost makes sense because it's our body or our mind's way of trying to make what's happening around you seem normal because it seems like you can't change it right and that loss of control kind of is like okay how can I gain back control oh well they must be right and I must be wrong and I can now operate under this kind of mode of this lie as the truth And by operating that way, it makes it hurt a little bit less every time something like this happens to me. And another interesting point is that internalized racism is actually a completely different feeling than low self-esteem or just not believing in yourself um, or even having low self-worth, right? Like these things are intertwined, but it's not the same as low self-esteem or as self-hatred because they're could be, you know, people of color or BIPOC that have high self-esteem that still have internalized racism. There could be people that believe in themselves, but because of the systematic oppression, they still face internalized racism and On the other hand, you know, there could be people that have low self-worth and that don't believe in themselves, but they might not be BIPOC. And so with that white privilege, they don't experience internalized racism. So there is a direct tie between systematic oppression and the feeling of internalized racism. And it's not just, you know, not believing in yourself or not having high enough self-esteem or thinking that you're beautiful etc like it, it does go a lot deeper than that so I did just want to clarify that before um, I get into this podcast any further but kind of tying back to what I mentioned a second ago about the model minority myth and how we kind of create these group tensions in order to battle it out for what we're left with in terms of resources I really believe that you know because of our inherent need for love and validation we allow society to tell us how to achieve it so in every single podcast episode probably at this point i've talked about how you know humans have this inherent need to be loved to be accepted and to be seen as they are and because it's it's not even something you're taught you're not taught that you need to be loved it's just something that is part of being human and so because we need that so inherently if you're in the process if if you're someone that is on you know the quote-unquote outskirts of society or you're kind of outside of this like white normal cishet kind of box of like what our society deems is acceptable then you are even in greater search of that sense of acceptance and love and validation. And the thing is, there is kind of a difference here because you might be from a family that loves and cherishes your heritage and that made you so proud of it and you you can have a great relationship with that family, but there is still also that other need of the rest of society, right? Like even if you have a wonderful home life and you feel so loved and so supported by your family, that still might not completely satiate your need to be loved and accepted. Yes, having loving, amazing parents is going to make a huge difference in how you see yourself and how you identify, and that can really help you create that store, like that strong core belief in yourself, um, and that core sense of self-worth but when everyone else in society is looking at you differently or you feel like you don't fit anywhere else except for with your parents or your family obviously there's still going to be that tension there and that need to also be at least accepted by greater society even if you're not wanting to make you know every person your best friend or whatever and so because of that we kind of allow society to tell us like how we can actually achieve that love and that validation the problem here though is that because of classism because of racism because of heteronormativity because of transphobia and all of these things all these influences teach us that to be an acceptable a socially acceptable person that is a rich white cisgender person and when you compare yourself to that you know just using myself as an example. I wasn't born wealthy. I wasn't born white. I wasn't born male. Um, and and so for me, as you know, an immigrant, a BI woman of color, and all of these things, there's so much of that that I'm separated from. And so when you look at like, okay, this is what society deems is socially acceptable. This is where I am, and you see how big of a gap there is. It's almost like that process and that internalization of that process is teaching you and convincing you that you have to change to be acceptable because this is what is inherently socially acceptable and this is what you are and because you're not what society loves then you need to completely change who you are change your customs and change where you came from and change what language you speak and change your habits and change your mindset because the closer that you can get to whiteness, the more that you will be deemed acceptable. However, as soon as you are acceptable, then you're the different one and we're not going to allow you to bring your entire community along with you. It's just that you'll now be one person that has access to some of these scarce resources that are left over, but it's not going to pave way Necessarily for everyone else in your community to follow suit. And so we really get sucked into this whirlwind of feeling like, in order to be worthy and to be validated and to be loved, that we have to change who we inherently are. And we have to prove our worth through productivity and through achievement to. Then become acceptable because if we're not born rich or white, then maybe we can work our way up the corporate ladder. Maybe we can achieve some sort of financial success. Maybe there's some sort of socioeconomic success that we can achieve. And those little things become kind of goalposts, but those goalposts, they're not for what we want to do. They're not just for our career aspirations or for ourselves. They're for this greater pursuit of worthiness that we feel like we. Need to check off these boxes until we can finally allow ourselves to be worthy. And what is so interesting is that all of that is also kind of tied into capitalist systems, right? Getting student loans and going to college or predominantly white institutions, going to, you know, having unpaid internships, um, working for a large corporation, you know, that then benefits whiteness or people who are currently at the top. And so I think it's really ironic, maybe not ironic, maybe rather purposeful, that in order for a a BIPOC to achieve what is considered success or what is considered a socially acceptable way to be a BIPOC, when the way for us to achieve that is to then invest in these capitalist institutions and to invest in these institutions that have racist pasts. And obviously, college isn't the answer for everyone or isn't everyone's standard experience, but it's just one of those things that kind of allows you to slowly move up the ladder and is kind of considered one of those things that allows you to become acceptable. And so that's what I really want to hone in on and make the point of is that we feel like we can achieve our worthiness by being productive or by achieving a certain number of awards or accolades or whatever it is. I mentioned this in my YouTube video in my anti-racism playlist as well but it comes back to that same idea of as soon as you have you know broken out of the mold and you know achieved all the success then white society will look at you like you're the anomaly like you're the different one like you did something special and they won't necessarily reflect that individualistic stereotype back on the rest of the community they don't say oh wow that means everyone who's like you is capable they mean they make that mean instead that oh you're different from your community oh you're special wow look at you you must be separated from this community because those stereotypes that we originally said about the laziness and all of this other stuff is still true about everyone. You just somehow kind of weaseled your way out of that one. So that's what I also find particularly hurtful and why it's such a tragedy to continue to tie that to your self-worth. It's not about proving it to them. It's about proving it to yourself. And you don't need to prove it to yourself. You need to decide it. You need to claim your worth. You need to own your worth. You don't need to ask for your worth. You don't need to ask other people to recognize it. You need to know it and you will find the people that will align with your understanding of your worth and that's just how it works. So another point that I wanted to make right here is that internalized racism is actually so entwined in mental health. So um, there was actually a study by Muzon and McLean and they showed a correlation between internalized racism psychological distress and depression. And then Kiki Davis also did a study in 2006. You may have heard of it before. Um, And it was a study of children um, essentially being able to choose between white dolls and black dolls. And the children associated black dolls with bad and they associated white dolls with good. And these children were of Um, multiple races so it wasn't just white children saying that it was also black children saying that and so that was so poignant because as young as you know before even hitting kindergarten was when a lot of these thoughts are built and so when you think about someone that's developing that's that young that's barely understanding the world and they already feel that their skin color is bad then that is becomes such a core wound that obviously it makes sense you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to Make come to terms with that, or understand that, or prove yourself that you that that doesn't apply to you because it's formed at such a young age that we can't even stop it in its tracks. We can't even unlearn it in the time being and say, oh wait, wait, wait let me stop myself. That's actually a bad way to think. No, it becomes a foundational thought of who you are and that's why it can affect your mental health so much it's not like this is you know affecting you when you're 25 and you can conceptually handle it this is coming at you from such a young and foundational age that it informs the entire way that you see and perceive the world and just using myself as an example I was born in Kenya, so I immigrated to the US um, around the age of five, and I actually used to speak four languages. So as a child, I was fluent in English, in Swahili, in Hindi, and in Gujarati. So I spoke two Indian languages, I spoke Swahili because I lived in Africa, and I was also fluent in English by that point. And I was in preschool at the time also learning French, and I remember just loving languages. I learned Hindi especially from like Hindi movies and just soap operas just watching them when I was literally like two to four years old like they were just always on and so reading that and having the subtitles and having my knowledge of Gujarati allowed me to become fluent in a whole other language and it was something that just came so naturally to me and because I was so young I was able to learn it so much more quickly and when I moved to the U.S. it was just Like, everyone would just honestly look at me like an absolute alien. Like, parents would come and visit their children in school, and they would, like, come and find me and be like, so, like, where are you from? And, like... How many languages do you speak and like what like just asking me all these random questions as like a 5-year-old, a 6-year-old all the way, you know, growing up and especially all throughout elementary school, I just always felt like I was tokenized and different and people would kind of just like study me or look at me weird and people would ask to touch my hair too, which like obviously that's insane. But um yeah, just just crazy things where I constantly felt so ostracized and so alienated and I didn't even know how to process it and it was even more damaging to me because growing up in Kenya with my giant Indian family I was obviously only around black and brown faces right a lot of my parents friends and a lot of our family friends were African and um, the preschool that I went to was obviously it was an international school and so um, you know the teachers were mainly African but Our principal was Chinese and there were students, um, you know, preschoolers from literally all over the world. I think my best friend was like French and I had another friend that was Punjabi. And so, you know, I really came from this world of seeing like so much culture and just being surrounded by beautiful black and brown faces. And it was, I loved it. Like I loved growing up there. I loved just, I just have the happiest memories of being there and When I came to the U.S., you know, it was like overnight, everyone around me was white. Everyone only spoke one language, whereas before I was used to people speaking multiple languages. And it was just so cold. Like there was something about coming to America. And it really took me years to deal with how isolating and cold it was. And even now, when I travel and visit other countries and when I traveled growing up, I would just notice that when you immediately just stepped off, In other countries, some countries are just so warm, and I don't mean that in terms of temperature. I mean that in terms of how people look at one another, how they talk to each other, how people talk to and deal with strangers. And here, people are considered friendly if they smile at you while you're walking across the street. But like that's considered like peak friendliness. You know what I mean? There was a huge amount of just culture shock and. I didn't know how to process it. And when I was honestly sitting down and making some notes for this podcast, I came to the realization that I felt like I had this trauma fog for so long growing up. And it wasn't until literally last week that I realized that that trauma fog really started and kind of um, grew when people started asking me about speaking other languages. And the reason that I brought up this whole topic was that i actually cut myself off from being able to speak all of those languages i it was a conscious decision that i literally cut off like part of my brain and so as i was growing up you know i would hear gujarati a lot and my parents would speak it so i could understand it but i can no longer speak that language i can no longer speak or understand swahili and i can no longer speak or understand hindi either And that to me, I mean, it still honestly breaks my heart and I, I want to change that, but there's just so much like trauma that's still there, um, that I, I don't really, I haven't fully processed. Um, and it was just something that happened when I was so young that I, I just, I didn't know how to cope other than shutting off entire parts of myself. And I think along with that I kind of I shut off a lot of like my joyousness and a lot of my free spirit and I became a lot more serious and it was as much as I always have been kind of fun loving I feel like it's been like kind of a hidden part of me that only comes out when I'm really comfortable and that used to I think I honestly used to be much more extroverted and over time, I just continued to shut myself off more and more and more. And now I'm in this process of unlearning how to do this. And I'm opening myself back up. But, you know, that was really hard. And the reason that I mentioned the trauma fog as well was just that, you know, it, it's like, I can't explain what it was like growing up. But it's like, everything really was foggy. And I don't just mean that in memories. I mean, like, in terms of like, being able to concentrate or um, just like understand what was going on around me even social cues and weird things like that like I I always had friends and I was a sociable person and I was emotionally intelligent for the most part but I just like I didn't understand a lot of social cues there were a lot of like little things that I didn't get even like sitting down and watching a movie I couldn't do it because by the time I got to the end of it I'd already forgotten like what happened at the start but At the same time, I generally had a really good memory. Like, I don't know. I can't really explain it. It was weird, but it... It really continued into my 20s and it was only, you know, around the time that I was 22, 23 and I really began this part of the healing process that I was able to kind of like clear up my mental fog. Like again, I I don't have proper terms for this and I don't know if anyone can even relate to this, but it was like this clarity that came over me and it was like I could actually like see the world again And I knew that parts of me were really kind of coming back alive and opening back up. Um, But yeah, I mean, it, it, it was just really shocking to me that I could kind of finally just now trace that back to cutting off all those languages. You know, now speaking to this kind of process of what I said before when it comes to, you know, achieving our worthiness through productivity and through achievement and through these capitalist institutions... I just saw online that my alma mater, my my college institution, is now offering Hindi, and there were, you know, more Indian or South Asian professors as I was leaving college. I had a couple while I was there, which was amazing, so I'm sure that the professor is, you know, a South Asian person, but it's still just, it just kind of hits me differently to think that I lost my language, that I... New and that I had already learned because of whiteness and then to pay to go to a white institution to have someone teach it back to me like I don't know I just I can't fully process that but that I feel like just that thought process can give you like a snippet of an idea of what it feels like to deal with internalized racism and to navigate these larger structures while trying to learn yourself without then appropriating the knowledge of your own history and trying to avoid learning the whitewashed version of your history. It's like there's so much there, and there's so much to battle, and it's kind of like this never-ending process. So I don't want this podcast to get too long, but I did kind of quickly want to touch on um just how I was able to start to kind of grow out of this process of internalized racism and you know I still very much am navigating this and working on it but I do feel like I have become come to a place where I'm so much more comfortable with who I am now than I was as a child like I am eons beyond how I felt about myself and how much I just hated myself before but a major shift that actually happened in my life that allowed me to start to appreciate and accept myself was actually this program at my college. So when I left high school, I was, um, accepted into kind of this early program at my college where essentially minority students or students from underrepresented areas or rural areas would get together and essentially just, um, learn about different resources on campus, um, go on fun trips, um, just spend time together, learn about each other, etc. And so there was a lot of, you know, in, in some ways, maybe, I mean, in, there were definitely problematic things about it, but at the same time, it, it was an amazing experience. And the reason that it was amazing was that I had never been around that many people that were different and the same as me. And by that, I mean, you know, there were people from all over the world. There were international students. There were people from all different cultures and ethnicities. There were people that were mixed. There were some people that were white, but from, you know, rural areas. And, but what we all had in common was that, you know, we kind of were quote unquote on the outskirts of society. We were outside of that norm of like a rich white cishet person and because of that we were really able to you know that that was the first time in my life that i was around such a group like that for my entire process growing up my entire childhood I was only around you know a majority of white people in Texas and so to be able to be around other people and to realize that was the first time I realized oh other people feel like I am and this is actually messed up like I'm not alone in feeling this way but we all collectively should not feel this way and this is the first time in my life that I'd experienced anyone even talking about these things and so that was honestly beautiful and I realized how many stereotypes I had held against my own people, against other people. And, you know, another example of this is kind of the idea of like a fob. So if you're an Asian, you I know that you've heard this term before, and it kind of means fresh off the boat. And that in itself just kind of shows that, you know, a group of people that might be from your exact same culture, because they're less assimilated to whiteness, we now separate ourselves from them. And that's a clear example of internalized racism. So I realized like, I had those biases within myself, I learned to create stereotypes about other races, even though I had friends of, you know, different races, and I never actively treated anyone differently, or like spewed out hate, I had learned all these atrocious negative stereotypes about other people and that kind of goes back to that definition of internalized racism where it says that you also modify your thinking to support the status quo so modifying your thinking from saying that stereotypes are crazy and make no sense and are complete lies to then believing stereotypes because it draws you closer to that example of whiteness and normalcy That was really, again, the first time that I felt so supported and understood in this journey, and my mind was honestly completely blown, and then, you know, two weeks later the program was over, and there was like a flood of white students to campus, and That feeling, and that was something that we all talked about, like campus feels so different, everything is changed, like I feel like I'm not understood anymore. I don't feel like we have that same bond within us as, you know, minority students or whatever you wanted to call us as we did before. Because it was almost like this sea of people, like we had to then find ourselves through that sea of like loudness and that confusion of what normalcy is like we had that backdrop again to compare ourselves against and that shock hit me heavily and it was almost like re-experiencing that culture shock, re-experiencing that idea of being in a place where you're so supported and understood and not looked at as different being bad but instead of being celebrated in your differentness and then feeling that shock of being around so many white bodies and so many people that are so similar and feeling again so ostracized from that so um you know my My journey has really kind of evolved and grown from there, but as much as, you know, that first experience could have been maybe different or could have been less problematic in some ways, it still was revolutionary in my life personally. So I wanted to end this portion of the podcast um, from a piece from Robin D'Angelo's book, What Does It Mean to Be White?, but um, after that, I am going to talk about some ways that you can start to deal with your internalized racism and um, some action that you can take from this. So what I wanted to say um, about Robin D'Angelo's book was that she actually talks about how racism creates a feedback loop, right? So she says that there's a systematic mistreatment of a group to create misinformation That then turns into societal acceptance of that misinformation. That then turns into internalized oppression and internalized dominance, meaning we start to hold ourselves back because society has accepted a stereotype, for example, that we've then internalized. That then turns into racism perpetuated and enforced by institutions, which then turns into justification for further mistreatment. So that feedback loop is really important because the third step of that is internalizing that oppression and internalizing dominance. And in no way am I saying that we are responsible for the racism that we face or or for any of the hatred that we face. That by no means is what I am saying at all. I just really want to make the point that We are not writing that permission slip anymore within ourselves. We are not going to allow those ideas to creep into ourselves. And we have to be active and intentional about changing those ideas that we've already learned and about doing what we can to put our filters up to not let those ideas get back into our heads. Do you know what I mean? So really this is to all my BIPOC, but I just want to say like, we end this cycle here. Like I don't want us to carry these messages onto our children or onto, you know, future generations or onto anyone that we are leading, you know, it's really, and it's not all up to us, but we can do the the work of what we have internalized ourselves, right? And so My advice for dealing with all of this is really just active self-love. And I have really been trying to live this out in my last few months, um, just actively loving myself in general, but then realizing that how much this ties into internalized racism and how much we kind of allow ourselves to become complicit in these ideas about ourselves and about who we are. That is the part that we need to actively and intentionally change. I have a few journaling prompts that I am going to leave in the show notes and that I'm going to read out here um, if you want to jot them down or copy and paste them. But um, I'm just going to read out the prompts. The first one is, What stories do I tell myself about my worth? The second question is, What stories do I tell myself about myself that diminish my worth? The third question is, How have I conformed or tried to conform to whiteness? I tweaked this question a little bit um, for parts B, C, D, and E, Um, so I'll read those now. How have I conformed or tried to conform to capitalism? How have I conformed or tried to conform to heteronormativity? How have I conformed or tried to conform to the patriarchy? How have I conformed, or tried to conform, to the gender binary? And ending this series of prompts, the fourth and final prompt is to list affirmations about your inherent worth below. So depending on you, whether you want to list affirmations about, you know, your physical appearance, like my brown eyes are beautiful, my brown skin is beautiful, my black hair is beautiful, my natural curls are beautiful, whether it's starting with things like that that you feel like you have deeply been affected by, or whether it's, you know, just stating things like I am worthy, I am loved, I am supported, you know, you can go as deep or as quote unquote surface level as you want, but really nothing about this is surface level. This is all deep and important work. You can answer, you know, one of these prompts a day, you don't have to, or, you know, if you really want to carve out some time and answer these all in one go and refer back to them, you know, feel free to do that. But a lot of this work, and for me, it really was just realizing what I've changed about myself to conform to this and why I changed and why I made those decisions even understanding that much then puts me back in the position of power and control to say okay well is that habit or that belief or that thought is that now serving me or now that I know that I created this or became this way or developed this behavior because of these societal standards, then is that now something that I'm capable of letting go or I am capable of actively and intentionally changing or morphing into a different habit? You know what I mean? So sometimes just understanding how these things started can give you a lot of clarity in what you want to work towards, what you want to achieve, what you want to unlearn as well. And I also just kind of wanted to add a quick example of just noticing how things are connected if you're a little bit confused by that. So um, with me, you know, I have been journaling every day for the last few weeks and it's been really helpful and something that I learned just kind of that came up in my journaling was that because I was kind of treated as like an ugly duckling for so long, when I eventually... I was treated as an ugly duckling for so long and eventually kind of one day as I was like towards the end of my high school people started treating me really differently whether it was friends or whether it was like attention from guys or just people passing by I could notice a huge difference in how people treated me and I realized that people started to think that I was pretty or attractive or whatever and because of that I realized that I really developed like a close tie with my femininity and with my appearance because that brought me validation and acceptance and so now I'm kind of thinking about you know all of these traits or behaviors or beliefs that I've developed and learned and carry along with me that have to do with gender or femininity or appearance or validation and noticing how they all tie together and now again I'm in that position like I just mentioned of control of saying okay well does this serve me is this something I want to carry along with me or has this you know proven its point it's served me until now and now I'm willing to let go of it because it's no longer something I want to carry along with me and so that's kind of what I mean just answering some of these questions and picking apart how you came to be, how certain thoughts um, form for you, how certain beliefs form for you, and maybe where they all started in terms of your connection to trying to reach that level of what's considered normal or acceptable in society. And I really just wanted to end on this note of reminding you that you are enough. You are enough. You are worthy. You don't have to prove your worth to anyone your worth isn't earned by anyone no one no one determines your worth no system determines your worth no institution determines your worth no singular person no family member no one else determines your worth other than you it is a decision that you make Make that decision that you are worthy, that you are going to carry yourself like someone who is worthy, like someone who believes in themselves, like someone who has a right to be here because you do. You have a right to be here. It's a miracle. It's a freaking miracle that you're here. Celebrate that. If you did enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving it a review on Apple Podcasts or sharing it with someone else who you may feel will enjoy and benefit from the podcast. My links to find me, to sign up for coaching, to my YouTube channel, and to my other free resources are all in the show notes. You can visit www.baetigrewup.com. To find out more about me and to sign up for life coaching and you can visit linktr.ee slash BettygrewUp to find all my content and free resources. Thank you all so much. I love you. Happy healing.